With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. for Monday, February the 24th, 2014. I'm your host, Lisa M. Saunders, coming to you live from Baltimore, Maryland. This broadcast is being sponsored by the National Great Blacks in Wax Museum, Incorporated, America's first black history wax museum. And we are super excited about our show this evening. In honor of Black History Month, Sharing with us this evening is the founder and CEO of the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum, Dr. Joanne Mitchell-Martin, who will be sharing with us her dream realized. To receive this broadcast as a podcast, go to the iTunes store, click on podcast, podcast, and type in A Date with Destiny. Also, follow us on Twitter at least, that's L-Y-S-E 101. L-Y-S-E-101. You can also send me a message through this site if you would like to become a sponsor or to get more exposure for your literary work or business. You can send a message through my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash a date with destiny 101, or you can leave a message via my website, which is info at yourdestinyawaits.net. So before I introduce tonight's guest, I want to give a shout-out to one of the loves of my life, uh, my grandmother, who turns 30, uh, I mean not 30, turns 90 years young today. So happy birthday, Nanny. I love, love, love you, and I can't wait to see you. So getting into our introduction and uh, for tonight's show, I want to give you a bit of history um, before I bring in our guest. The National Great Blacks in Wax Museum is among the United States' most dynamic cultural and educational institutions. This unique museum, the first one of wax in Baltimore, Maryland, and the first wax museum of African-American history in the nation, is the brainchild of the late Dr. Elmer P. Martin and Joanne Mitchell Martin. 
They established the museum in 1983 with several objectives in mind. One, to stimulate an interest in African-American history by revealing the little-known, often-neglected facts of history. Two, to use great leaders as role models to motivate youth to achieve. And three, to improve race relations by dispelling myths of being racially inferior. And four, to support and work in conjunction with other nonprofit charitable organizations seeking to improve the social and economic status of African Americans. As the founders of the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum, Dr. Elmer and Dr. Joanne Martin knew the importance of having a dream and the gratification of having one's dream fulfilled. Their dream took form in 1980 when they, with the money they had, saved to make a down payment on a house, purchased four wax figures. They carried the figures around to schools, churches, shopping malls, and almost anywhere that people would follow them to set up an exhibit. Little did they know that by 1983, they would have a small storefront museum in downtown Baltimore, 21 wax figures, and the good wishes and support of many loyal friends. Our mission on A Date with Destiny is to inspire, motivate, and empower people to move forward in their lives with hope and realizing that they can make their dreams a reality. Our guest this evening is the model for having a dream manifest. So without further ado, we would now welcome Dr. Joanne Mitchell-Martin to A Date with Destiny. Hello, Dr. Martin. Um, hello, Lisa Saunders, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, we welcome you to A Date with Destiny. And um, I just first, before we get, before we get going, I, I want to uh, thank you. Thank you for your time because I know that this is your busiest time of the year. Um, yes, it is. Um, uh, February and this time of year is extremely busy for us. But um, uh, our busiest month of the year is July because we um, we do so well with the tourists that come into the area, and most of our visitors are from out of state. So, yes, mm -hmm. but this is a very busy time. This is a very busy time. So um, we have so much ground to cover, and I just want to kind of jump right in. I had such a great time developing this particular show because I have a vested interest in the museum. I had the good fortune of working with Dr. Martin, whom I affectionately call Dr. J., um, there is not enough time in this segment to express what I gained from your tutelage and the love and respect that I have for you and the legacy that you and your late husband have created. So, Dr. Martin, I may have to bring you back on at a later date just so we can fit it all in, um, well, especially, yeah, especially when the expansion is finished, which we will get into, talk about that a little bit during this segment, too. Um, so let's just start from the beginning, because you know how much I love to hear you tell the story on how it all began. Um, and then me reading it to the listeners doesn't even begin to do your story justice. So I want, I want you to share with our listening audience um, just how Dr. Elmer had arrived at this vision. Well, um, and, and that is the starting point, uh, an understanding of Dr. Elmer Martin. Um, he was very much a product of his time. Um, we're talking um, 
mid-60s, early 70s, um, the black consciousness, black power, civil rights era uh, um, in the United States. And Elmer, very much the activist. Uh, I can picture him with the big afro and the raised fist and all of those things that um, represented um, our generation. Um, And being the activist that um, he was, he sponsored a Little League baseball team of um, inner-city kids. He had ID pictures um, taken of the kids from Baltimore City, and he handed out the um, the pictures. And one of the little kids, a six-, seven-, eight-year-old, somewhere in that age range, came up to him demanding that Elmer make the photographer take the picture over. And so Elmer said he just automatically reached out, took the picture, said, son, it's a um, great picture of you. Why do you want him to take it over? And the kid said, because they got me too black in this picture. I don't want to be as black as they got me in this picture. And we were already grappling with the idea that our college-age students, Elmer, a professor at um, Morgan State University, and me on the faculty of uh, Coppin State College here in Baltimore, uh, we had a generation of college students who the really one generation uh, under us that had decided that career-wise learning black history and culture would be of no value. It wouldn't get you the American dream or the corporate dream or the middle-class dream or whatever the dream might be. And so here they had decided that career-wise it's possible to be too black. And then we've got this kid thinking that physically it's possible to be too black. And we thought when we um, used slogans that we were, when we said we were, black and beautiful and black and proud, or even when we took the name black, because this ours was the generation that determined that we were given the name Negro and colored. We mm-hmm. took a name that represented who we were and, and what we saw as uh, the direction that our generation would take uh, in, and, other, and future generations would take in declaring that we were black and affirming our blackness and our pride in that. And so to have this kid say, I don't want to be as black as they got me in this picture, was just a step back, and, and, and it meant that Elmer said he sat in his office in between teaching his classes at Morgan saying, how did we get back to this point and how did we get back to this point so quickly and he said at the um the end of this thinking this very painful process of thinking about this he concluded that we failed to institutionalize our history to build institutions designed solely for the purpose of preserving the history and culture and failing that every generation was going to have to start from scratch so sort of out of that um eventually came the great blacks and wax museum now, Dr. Martin, again, uh, tell us when, about around the time of the year, this was in the early 70s? This, this was in the early 70s um, when, uh, in fact, um, it was the early 80s. Um, it was the early okay. 70s when um, Elmer and, and, and members of our generation were um, embracing the idea of being black, um, right. mm-hmm. uh, stating for the first time that we we were going to choose a name that represented us, not to have a name thrust upon us, because we've right. been given the names Negro and colored and slave and all of those things. Um, but to affirm um, that we were black, we I consider that to be a revolutionary act. Um, right. And and so it was out of that kind of philosophy and thinking that that Elmer evolved, um, okay. and he he developed developed a number of ideas. Um, out of that time that really guide the museum um, today. Right, right. And and if 
ladies and gentlemen, if you have not visited the uh, museum, it's a must-do. And if you have young children, you need to take your children. And we're not just talking about black people or white people. We're talking about all races. All races need to go and visit this museum. It is just, you know, amazing. Um, it, it comes alive when, as soon as you walk through the door. Uh, you have exhibits on both sides, and it's just really, really awesome. And if you're lucky and blessed, you may just get a tour by Dr. Martin herself. <laughs> so you need to go on. And they have a beautiful website, you know, so, you know, Google that. Go online and check that out. But so, okay, so then we have Dr. Martin. He came up with the idea, uh, you know, he got inspired by this little boy. So then from that point on, when did the the museum take form? When did that take shape? Well, you know, we um, at that point we were trying to figure out, you know, how do we counter this? Um, we had gone to um, France one year and Spain uh, one year, and and looking at just um, the pride that the, um, the the French people and the and the Spanish people had in in right. in their in and the sense of self, and and um, Elmer said, you know, perhaps having a sense of your place in history, which is something that was denied us as African Americans, right, um, right. having a sense of our place in history. And and so we started thinking about, well, what can we do? Uh, we wrote some books, but we knew that there we needed something that would reach the masses of people and that would a visual representation that, for me, puts a face on history. So um, we started, uh, Elmer started doing research. He found that there was no... Um, we did well. We went to uh, a wax museum in, in Florida, um, in Potter's Wax Museum in St. Augustine, and got very, very interested in, in that whole medium as a way of telling the history. We started researching and found that there was no uh, Black History Wax Museum anywhere in the nation. And we said, okay, if it's not in this country, it's probably there's probably none any place. And um, mm -hmm. so we just started calling around and learned that there was a wax figure maker in uh, Baltimore. Um, okay. And we contacted him, and he um, we we uh, purchased four wax figures um, from him, and we had, we took out a layaway plan because we had no money. And uh, when we get a little money, <laughs> we're going to we get to that story too. Go ahead. Okay, and um, and so um, we bought the figures and started taking them around as a traveling exhibit. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that the traveling exhibit is still very much a part of uh, of who we are. Yeah. But um, and we started just gathering stuff in the in the um in the guest bedroom of our two bedroom apartment. We throw the figures into my Pontiac and set them up in a church, a school, a shopping mall, as you um read, and and then take them home with us to our two bedroom apartment. And um, we just started uh, accumulating. Elmer started accumulating so much stuff that we, after a while, we couldn't even open the door of that room. We just have to kind of open it as far as we could and pitch things in. And so right, that right. led to our, our storefront in downtown Baltimore. Now, what four figures did you start off with? Um, Mary McLeod Bethune, Frederick mm -hmm. Douglass, John Brown, and Nat Turner. And that turn okay, and then it expounds from there. But you know, I, I, I'm sorry to I cut you off, but I was hoping that you would jump into the part where, and they, you've got to tell this one about the hatchback and and getting pulled over. With so I'll let you go on and tell well, that part. I mean, so many um, <laughs> unusual things happen to us. Um, <laughs> we, as a traveling exhibit, I'm going to go in and, and set the um, the exhibit up. Uh, some. 
for some organization, and when he, he went back to pick it up and he was tired. And so he just kind of threw Frederick Douglass into the hatchback of my car. It, ordinarily, we would have broken the figure down and put it in his case and all of that um, right. in his box, but um, he just threw it into the hatchback of my car. Um, and for people who they, you, you have a young audience, I'm sure, and they don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about with hatchback, but if you think, uh, what is it? Um, like a station wagon type of station car, wagon, right? That's what I'm trying to think yeah. of, yes. And so it's hanging out, um, and he gets on the beltway of all places. <laughs> and so the policeman um, uh, uh, is behind him and not believing he's seeing what he's seeing, and he pulls Elmer over and asks him, what is that? And Elmer's trying to explain that it's a wax figure, and he's not getting that point. And, and finally right. he says, look, man, if you're going to put these things in a car, and, and uh, stay off the beltway. And if you're on the beltway, <laughs> cover those things up. So, um Anyway, he uh, let Elmer off with a warning, thank goodness, and didn't take him to the pokey for killing Frederick Douglass exactly, or whatever he thought it happened. I can't even imagine, yeah, riding around and seeing these legs. And this is how real these things look. I mean, so, you know, you can only imagine. But um, one of the other things, too, Dr. Martin, is that um, I want my listening audience, you know, one of the things I was looking forward to in, in you sharing with us this evening is because people um, – they have dreams, and sometimes they often give up on their dream because it becomes too difficult or it's, it takes too long. Um, and, and they see people like yourself who are very successful, um, but they don't see your struggle. They don't see the struggle and the, of the goings-on behind the scenes of what it takes to make things happen. I mean, this, all of this did not just happen overnight. You know, so um, I want you to talk about the part where, because I'm, I'm bringing it up to the present, but I want people to get a sense of what it took in order for you to get even to the point where you are right now. So I want you to kind of uh, share with us one of my, another one of my favorite stories, <laughs> um, The Ring. Right. Well, you know, Elmer and I, we always um, understood that this wasn't about Elmer and Joanne Martin, that it had to be mm -hmm. about our youth, about giving them a sense of, like, well, you know, that they would never, um, we would never have children who um, said, I don't want to be as black as they've got me in this picture. Right. And, and um, that when I have kids who ask me why did they make us uh, uh, slaves, I know that they are saying to me, what fatal flaw is there in us that made us um, the ones that they chose to make slaves? And so to be able to make sure that kids have a sense of pride, a, a sense of accomplishment, and all mm -hmm. of those things, and so whatever sacrifices we've made are um, readily do them again. And, and the the for the ring story that we um we had taken all of our money we um didn't realize that come September the tourists go away because we we opened up in on July ninth nineteen eighty three and did very well that summer um uh, and then in in September schools start up again and so the the, right. the school schools have to get uh, you know um organized again to do field trips and the tourists are gone from Baltimore City and we were struggling and mm -hmm. you know sometimes paying um, paying our rent here and then and then trying to figure out how are we going to pay the rent on our storefront and mm -hmm. it got to uh, a point where we had no more money and right. Elmer started going around one morning he finally admitted that he was up uh, he was um, um, concerned about the the whole financial situation with the museum and paying our rent and he was running around gathering up our wedding gifts. 
And um, things that we'd had for a while because we'd been married maybe about five years, and you know you get eight toasters or whatever. And so <laughs> then we headed headed down to a very interesting neighborhood, and I he, I just followed him out to the car and headed off with him. And um, mm-hmm. there we were now at a pawn shop in a neighborhood where there were a, a string of pawn shops on the street. So I figured out, well, this is where he's going. And he left left, uh, left me in the car, told me to lock the door, and I'm saying, now what's out there in that world that he wants me to lock myself in from? Right, right. And he went into he went into the um, to the pawn shop, and he came back a few minutes later, and he said they don't want any of these things. That what what sells for them are guns and rings, and it, the word kind of hung on ring. And I realized that he was um, asking me to give up my ring, and I saw such a pained look on his face where the last thing in the world he wanted was to take away or ask me to give up this symbol of his love for me. But at the same time, he that's where we were, and I didn't want him to feel that way. So I'm pulling off the ring, and it doesn't want to come off, and I'm saying eventually, mm. look, Elma, we have to do what we have to do. This is mm-hmm. a commitment we've made, and... And he said, Joe, I promise you I'm going to get the ring back. And he came home um, the next day, with the, put a calendar up on our wall, and every morning before he did anything else, he'd mark the day off because we had 30 days, 28 days really, to get the ring back. Mm-hmm. And um, he came into um, my space at Coppin where I worked, and um, near, near day number 28, um, he walked up to me. He, uh, My students were looking at all of this. He um took my um, hand, took my finger, slipped the ring back on, and um, kissed the ring and said, and don't you ever take this ring off again. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. That is just so awesome right there. You know, that's the stuff movies are made out of. So from that point, okay, so you got your ring back. He he kept his promise and he got the ring back. So take us from that point until you, uh, from the storefront, now you're on North Avenue. So what right. was the- in 1988 we moved into a store uh, we moved into a, a firehouse a, a surplus firehouse on North Avenue <laughs> and again Elma's uh, philosophy community development and cultural development go hand in hand Elma's belief mm-hmm. that conventional wisdom all over this nation is that you hide your poverty areas and once you succeed in hiding them then you can succeed in neglecting them but that we were going to create a museum so compelling that people were from all over all over the world were going to come mm-hmm. to visit and mm-hmm. and so we are in the heart of a challenged community. We started purchasing the, the buildings on the block because Elma's uh, dream of a block-long museum where we um, brought jobs and revitalization to that area and to show that uh, an African-American institution could do that. Elma says some of our yeah. institutions have to be willing to stay in our communities and make those communities better, that mm-hmm. we all can't run away because our communities and the children who need us they shouldn't have to um, go out of their communities to believe that that's right. where all of the good stuff is. They should be able to know that right there in the heart of their communities are things worth having and knowing and seeing. And so um, that's where why we're there and, you know, working very hard to make that part of the dream um, a, a reality of creating this block-long museum. We have a beautiful design and want to change and believe that we can change the face of North Avenue. Well, you've done that. You've already done that just with your presence because, my goodness, like I said, if you haven't gone to the museum, ladies and gentlemen, you need to make a trip. And one of the things that amazed me when I started working with you is the uh, the visitorship 
the numbers, and I'm not talking just from our city. I'm talking from around the world. Buses lined up from one end of the of North Avenue where you are down to the to the to the other end, and it was just it's a beautiful thing to see. And for me, um, Dr. Martin, um, you know, seeing I want you to talk about your children. And when I say children, you got a whole lot of them that you have mentored and um, um, helped to get into schools and that you have taught and you continue to. So let's talk a little bit about your youth programs. Um, well, you know, when um, what, we, what we try to do is to, is to show kids that they're not all going to be rap stars and athletes and, and, mm-hmm. and so forth, that, that they have to prepare for uh, another uh, lifestyle and 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 another life um, and 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 so to have the kids, I remember uh, walking through and they were having a meeting and uh, one of them was saying that they were going to become, be the president of National Great Blacks and Wax Museum like Dr. Mm-hmm. Elma Martin and one of them had decided they were going to have my role and one of them was saying, well, I'm going to business school and I'm going to come back to run the gift shop. And you know, so mm-hmm. these kids came in with a with a traditional. I'm going to make a lot of money. I don't know how. Um, and and here they were mapping out a future that was very um, non traditional for for the way the kids right. think. Um, so that right. has been good. Except that Elma said, "Yo, we got to watch our back because they're trying to replace <laughs> us." Um, <laughs> but um, so having them think um, like that, we've got kids who um, were ten years old. One of them is William um, uh, Redmond, who mm-hmm. was 10 years old when he came to the museum. And I, when Elmer and I went to uh, Egypt, the idea was that we were going to come back to, uh, and it would be business as usual. And Elmer died in Egypt, as you know. And so for me, just looking at um, the continuity of the museum, and when I think about that, I can think of no one better than William Redmond to run the museum mm-hmm. when I'm no longer able to do that. He's um, wow. all of 26, 27 now, and he started when he was 10. Um, mm-hmm. I, I keep him apprised of what's going on, but, you know, just trying to think um, succession plan and all of that and what's going to happen uh, when either when I'm no longer here or when I'm no longer able to do what I do. Um, mm-hmm. And and so and i'm 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 constantly looking at how to involve young people in that way so that they yeah. feel a sense of um of the need uh, 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 to carry this museum on and that, and and helping them to understand that that's the, that has to be their responsibility that I can and take you know, it only so far yeah and you know i've I've witnessed uh, uh kids coming in on their tours and their eyes just you know, open so wide with amazement, and um, them listening to the curators, you know, uh, talking about the exhibits and the things that they themselves, of course, didn't know because of, you know, I know when I was a kid, I wasn't taught a lot of that stuff in my hist- in, in history class. They weren't teaching us that kind of stuff. So when you walk through the museum, you literally get an excellent, excellent experience, and I want you to talk about the uh the the guest that you had uh recently who is now a famous actress in right. uh one of the movies that got you know that's getting all kinds of acclamations and awards so I want you to talk about that and and you know tell me how that came about um and and uh and you mentioned the um the youth um also that a part of the experience is that we train those youth to be tour guides 
and and so um, I'm very proud of that. But um, you are um, talking about uh, Lupita um, Nyong'o O uh, from Twelve Years a Slave. Um, yeah. She wrote in a, a number of um, articles. Um, she was asked how did she uh, prepare for her character of Patsy, and she said one of the main things she did was to make a visit to the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum in Baltimore. That that's a friend amazing. of hers had told, had told her that that's what you need to do, and she said he was so insistent that she just knew she had to take his advice, and when she came in, she knew that she was at the right place because the first thing that she saw was this 500-pound bale of cotton. Right. And, you know, the cotton was so key to her, her role, and she was saying that she had no frame of reference um, prior to coming to the museum of what a 500-pound bale of cotton was, and that was the standard that was being used in the in the movie. So to come in and see that cotton and see that it was how much taller it was and wider uh, yeah. than it was uh, that, than she, um, and then to uh, be able to go down into the hold of the slave ship and see the um, yeah. the, the captives um shackled and and to be yeah. able to um she talked about the polar bear and 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 our and polar exploration with um uh, matthew henson and all of right. the many many things and that she learned that she simply did not know and how what pride she had in in in, in walking yeah. out of the museum taking into account what she had learned but also a sense of what that role meant yeah yeah, I get goosebumps just listening to you talk about it. And I've been through there, you know, hundreds of times myself, but it never gets old because it's like when you go through, you're always seeing something new, something that you didn't see before. And exactly. I don't know where it comes exactly. from, but it just seems like it's popped up. It's like, wait a minute, was that there before? You know, and you're like, yeah, that's always been here. But I'm excited to talk about a little bit the expansion because you're going through a 25,000-square-foot expansion. And, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if, you look at the, um, if, you, if you're listening to the show online and you see the picture scrolling across the page, I have a picture up of, uh, of what the expansion is going to look like. So, Dr. Martin, if you can just talk a little bit about your expansion and some of the new exhibits uh, that you are planning to, to put out there for us. Well, we uh, right now we tell 5,000 years of history, and with the expansion we, it is our intention Woo. to tell 250,000 years of history, um, yeah. starting um, in, um, in Africa um, where um, mankind um, stepped out onto uh, uh, onto the, uh, the 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 earth in Africa and um, spread throughout the world in, in forming what came to be known as the races, but all of us from that uh, very same source. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and so that that will be the um, the beginning. Um, okay. The, uh, what some people refer to as the biblical Eve, um, but uh, again, all of us having that biblical Eve um, within us. Um, and and then looking at categories of history, so sports. We're getting ready to launch our spirituality and religion um, project, um, and um, we uh, we did four figures of uh, four educators for uplift uh, as a part of our gallery of education, um, history oh, wow. and philosophy. I think it's called or our Gallery of Spirituality and Religion, um, our um, Gallery of Sports, um, Athletics, and um, 
recreation. Um, so, you know, looking at those categories of history and, and all of the ways that we have contributed to um, to each of uh, of those and, and having education space so that, that we can um, do um, more teaching, which is, is, is primary to our mission. Um, mm-hmm. And so... And 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 of, uh, of course, um, creating business um, incubators right there, so that the tourism that we've shown will exist can exist in our community, where people um, come into this area specifically for great blacks and wax. That there are jobs and businesses right. and opportunity and hope in our community. Yeah, because um, they. Uh, when I say they, I'm talking about the city. Um, actually, I had asked you all to move da- towards downtown at one point. Am I right? Right. And um, you and decided. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Right. We we decided that um, again. Elmer's philosophy that some of our institutions have to be willing to stay in our communities. Right. That to build those communities, to make them stronger, to um, to um, give our kids a reason to to see beauty in their communities and opportunity yeah. in their communities. Um, so um, that we couldn't do that, um, but if we so easily um, went to the Inner Harbor, which is where um, where we were being um, encouraged uh, to go. Right to go. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, when you you know when you look at um, We've got a slave ship, and and um, we've got um, the exhibit, the struggle against uh, lynching lessons for today. Mm. Um, that we, you know, the harbor people come to the harbor and they're lighthearted and 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 whatever, and right. to um, grasp um, the um, seriousness of the right. exhibit. We want you uh, people leave out of the museum and saying that they fe- felt inspired, but. You've right, got. Yeah. You have to work through um, the pain of our history. You have to work yeah. through the triumph of our history. And yeah. I don't know that um, you come with the right attitude down in the, no. in the harbor and 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 the, the the willingness to grasp all of that and work your way through all of that. And so, for that reason, but more than anything else, to be in that community and show that tourism can thrive in our community and that we can. Uh, create jobs and opportunity and be an in, uh, economic engine in that community. And, yeah, and thrive it has. And, you know, you, you bring up another good point, um, Dr. Martin, and, and I want you to t- kind of talk just a little bit about our children because um, I remember hearing uh, people, some people say, you know, well, um, maybe the, the lynching exhibit, for example, may be a bit too much for our children or the slave ship exhibit may be a little bit too much for our children, but I found that, you know, and I this is my belief, but I believe that they need to know that, you know, exactly. in order to move forward so we don't repeat the same mistakes. And I know myself, you know, I've had, you know, talked to some of the kids that were, you know, taking tours and things and they had questions or they were like had the look of horror on their faces and because they just didn't know. So exactly. it's yeah, so you, you know, you, I know that you've, of course, seen so many, but talk about the some of the negative comments that you may have gotten from people feeling that it was just a bit too much. Um, well, I, I remember um, that um, a school took us off the field trip list, one of the county schools, mm-hmm. 
And I mean that was a, a a nightmare for us because they didn't they didn't um, say anything and we started getting these calls from teachers uh, you know who would and some of them um, saying you know we brought our kids here one teacher said we I brought my kids here for the past seven years and we went to a faculty meeting uh, and then they told us that Great Blacks and Whites wasn't on the list I had a teacher uh, a young white teacher who bucked the um, the school system and brought her kids uh, to our museum and mm-hmm. but. One of the things uh, that stands out for me is that, well, two things, really. Um, uh, A news reporter uh, from one of the stations in uh, Washington, D.C., called, and they wanted to um, they wanted to come in and, and look at this controversy of, of the, you know, how being taken off the field trip list. And mm-hmm. so she called um, and wanted to know when we would have a predominantly white audience at the museum. And so um, my staff was upset, but I gave her the time. Uh, and... Um, so they, she came in with the camera crew, and um, the uh, kids went. Uh, and they, you know, the, I guess maybe seventy percent of them were um, were young white kids. And they went into the slave ship, um, and they came back out. And the reporter asked a little, little girl, um, "How did you tell me about the slave ship? How did you feel about the slave ship?" And the little girl said, "It scared me." And I said, "Oh God, it's all over now." And but the reporter was so astute at, at and she said, "What scared you about it?" And the little girl said that human beings would treat one another that way. Oh, right. And mm-hmm. so you know, adults are hearing, "It scared me." Kids mm-hmm. are saying that human beings would treat one another yes. that way. Yes. Yes. And you know, specifically, I remember um, a young. It was an elementary class class that came through and they were down in the uh, lynching exhibit and these two little girls were holding each other's hands and they had tears coming down their face and I pulled them mm-hmm. to the side and asked them the same question and mm-hmm. they, their answer was they couldn't understand why people would treat each other like that. Who exactly. would do that? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and so, you know so, it's, um, it, it's that kind of thing where we need out of the mouths of babes. You know yes. that um, that we need to hear our children and, and what we want them to, and want to think they're saying. Perhaps not. Um, I had exactly. a young um, Japanese American student. She came in with um and um well there was this group of uh, it was when we first opened our lynching exhibit and so she came. Um, the the uh, African American students were down there and they heard me conducting an, uh, an interview with um, someone and and so they knew I was in, involved in the museum some in some way and they came over to me when the reporter left and and they said we heard you talking about this and and um and you said something about your uncle said that all black people got a lynching story and they said we don't have a lynching story because we didn't know that there was such a thing as lynching. Right. This was 1997. These were teenagers. They'd never wow. heard of lynching. Um, and um, so, you know, we started talking about that, and they and they asked some questions, and they left. Then the Japanese-American uh, student, she came up to me. She said, I heard what my classmates were saying about not knowing about lynching. And she said, and I didn't know anything about it either, but there's something that's troubling me, and it's a little bit more personal to my history. And I said, well, let's talk about that. And she said, I just found out about Japanese-American internment during yeah, World War II. Right. And um, she said, and, and I've been um, just um, so upset ever since that I've just been devastated because no one talked to me about that. She said, my grandmother, who's always talking about history and the old country and whatever, uh, and, and being a Nisei or whatever, um, she never mentioned this. 
my mother and father never mentioned this, not my textbooks, not my teachers. And so I listened to my African-American students talking about this important part of their history that they know nothing about. And I know the agony I'm going through about this part of my history that I know nothing about. And I ask myself, who makes these decisions about what history gets told and not told? Yes, and you know, Dr. Martin, I've heard, I don't know, you've probably heard this because you're Dr. Martin, but, um, you know, they're trying to even take more history out of the books. Yes. You know, and yes. just before you know it, they're just going to wipe it all away. So exactly. this museum is so just imperative and important to the world um, because there's nothing, to me, there's nothing on the face of the planet like it, nothing. We have, you know, the, the Jewish community have their Holocaust Museum, which is also, also awesome in its own right, but they've always told their history. They've never run away, as right. far as I know, from their history. Right, exactly. And no, I remember, haven't. yeah, yeah, and I remember one time we went through an, again, and you, you just amazed me. I mean, you, you just always amaze me. But one of the things, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time we went through, and we were in the, um, I call it the African room, with um, the paintings and the uh, the Shaka Zulu, and um, it, it was a group of teenagers. And you know how teenage boys can be, you know. And they were well. As you were speaking, and your back was turned, one of them said they were laughing at how black Shaka Zulu was, mm-hmm. and they made a comment. And you stopped mid sentence, and you turned mm-hmm. around, and you said, "And what is wrong with him being black?" Or so, but and then he looked at you like a deer. You know, he had this expression on his face like a deer caught in headlights. <laughs> but you broke that thing down to him mm-hmm. so eloquently um, that you. I mean, he he got a history lesson that was not even on on the books. You know, but it's that's how the museum draws. It, it draws people's fears out. And you just spoke to him about our skin color and you know what it means and the pride. You know of that, and I bet you when you finished with him, he was just a whole different person throughout the the rest of that tour. I and mean, you know, that, that, hmm? I'm sorry, and that's what I I, I always hope for um, that yeah. that you know we get them to think differently um, about yes. certain things, and it's it's so yeah. important, and and for us not to to pull back um, and and be afraid to uh, to talk to our children. Yes, yes, Doctor Martin, and and so. Tell, you know, I have a lot of people who, like I said, listen to the show and, you know, to be inspired and encouraged. So, you know, what advice or what could you, because you've been through a lot, I mean, holding down the fort and holding down something like this, especially after your husband has passed on, you know, there's a lot of challenges that come, but you face each and every one of them. Um, and you always come through it. But what advice or encouragement could you give to the listening audience who are trying to build their own businesses? You know, what what could you say to them to just to help them to just hold on and keep moving? Well, you know, um, education is important, and, and business education is important. Uh, and I'm not saying go back to school and look to get a degree or anything like that. But in looking at some of the things that uh, that I learned early on, I, we came into the tourism industry, and I didn't know anything about what the tourism industry is. I could do uh, presentations now on that, but I went to workshops. Um, I um, and I listened, and and I learned 
Um, and there are any number of things. I didn't. Um, Elmer was the historian in the family. I learned so much from him, but um, also just just being willing to learn a lot about the history, using what I know um, the the teacher in me because that first and foremost is what I am and, I, and what I right. always hope to be. Um, mm-hmm. So looking at who who I am and what I bring to this, not trying to be Elmer Martin. Um, mm-hmm. And but just trying to be who I am and know that I bring something important to um, to this. Um, but also being able to uh, look at the at the ground uh, floor and, and work my way up in terms of learning what do they mean by the tourism industry? What are they talking about when they they talk about demographics and and all of those things that I have learned? What does it mean? Um, who is your audience um, in the in the spring? And 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 how do you market to that audience when it's a it's a spring break audience that's coming from uh, different parts of the country and farther and farther distances versus that audience that is coming in the in the summer versus that audience that goes away in September and what do you do then? So knowing your market and the marketplace and knowing who you are and what unique things you bring and making making some decisions just based on on that. And you still, if I'm not mistaken, attend workshops every now and then? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, every every chance I, um, I get. Um, and I, um, I read a lot um, on my iPhone. You <laughs> come in the Oh, the iPhone. Congratulations. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me do this because we've we got to do this properly now. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Martin has an iPhone. Let's give her a big old round of applause. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. And the reason why, ladies, I know you, they're probably wondering what, but Dr., there, there was one point when Dr. Martin just would not touch a computer. She would not, the cell phone was just no. I'm just not getting a cell phone. And so she started off, you know, I think you had a Blackberry at first, didn't you? I started had a Blackberry. Blackberry. Love my Blackberry. And then Blackberry. she graduated, yep, and graduated to the iPhone. So I just salute you, Dr. Martin. And see, and, and ladies and gentlemen, that's what, you know, you have to stay on top of things because the world is, continues to evolve. We're always changing. Technology changes. And if you have a business, you've got to stay on top of things, right? Absolutely. And um, one of the things I, I, um, I pointed out to um, the staff when they wanted me to, because I didn't, I didn't learn to type, and so that was the drawback because nobody put I okay. sent the computer in. I'm saying, well, where is Y or here? And, I, and people were just so, you know, <laughs> so impatient with me. Uh, but um, I told them, I don't know, um, I'm, I'm not going to get to this computer, but I know what this computer will do. And so I right. was always saying, you know, well, so-and-so, can't you do this? Can't we create this document? And so they were always amazed that I had a sense of what we should be able to do with the computer, even though I wasn't going to do it right. myself. Right. Um, <laughs> but there was just a wealth of information. Um, I I read um, um, what what comes on my iPhone about um, uh, sessions that are taking place. Um, looking at other people's calendars of events, what kind uh, events, what kind of. Um, activities they are having, um, what's going on around the world. Uh, and right. I, and, and so, you know, it's not where some, you, um, you get something and you just delete it. I'm going through those, those that information that's coming on my iPhone, and I'm learning. 
um, yeah. and, and constantly um, trying to make sure that every uh, vehicle, every vessel that is that, that serves can serve as a tool for me for learning, and that's that's how I use it. And and you just are amazing because I'm telling you, it's it just amazes me how much it, it takes a lot of work um, to keep a place of that magnitude um, open. And tell us a little bit because the time is winding down, but I want you to just briefly talk about the expansion. Um, uh, you know, where are you with it? What what is the date? You know, the finish date. What do you need? Um, so now you have you have a listening audience out there. Talk to them and tell them what you now need, what you're looking for, and all that good stuff. Well, um, we we need people um, um, to go online. We're about to uh, we're building the site um, to dedicate it directly to the expansion, and so there'll be a, a number of um, donor opportunities. Whether it's okay. buying a brick for the uh, we have a rooftop garden and and all kinds of places mm. where you can have your personalized brick, or whether it's naming um, a, a space, a gallery, um, uh, whether you're an organization um, that wants to. Uh, fund a wax figure, um, whether you want to uh, contribute to an endowment or membership, um, all of the different ways that you can um, support this whole effort okay. uh, for us to okay. um, to expand and create this block-long uh, museum. You can certainly, um, I know your listeners are from all over the world, but when they're in this country, just hook a left from D.C. and come to Baltimore yep. and see the museum <laughs> and, yes. uh, and, and just support us in that way and go on our website and, and, and um, stay uh, you know, tuned to what's going on, all of those things. And you have a famous designer, an architect, um, um, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, our, uh, well, our designer, um, an initial designer was uh, Max Bond, um, who um, just um, – very well known um, uh, around the world, and if you look at uh, African American designers, um, you're going to find Max Bond's name. Uh, Max um, died before um, oh. he really got into. Um, he um, he carried this project so long he contracted cancer and he died suddenly. Oh. Um, but he had, um, his mentor, mentee was Peter Cook. Uh, when you see Rocky running up the steps right. of the uh, of the um, of the in the movie, that's the Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, uh, Museum of Art, and the architect was uh, a, uh, someone named Julian Abel, and Julian Abel was the um, the grand uncle of our own Peter Cook, and and so Peter comes with um, with a legacy, and and then we have an, um, a, a very talented. Um, uh, architect uh, assisting Peter, and his name is Rob Anderson, and they've created just very brown, groundbreaking design. And I understand you've you've uh, uh, shown it to to people. So just uh, you know, we're just very very proud of of our design and what it will do for that area of Baltimore City. Yeah, because the area that area that corridor is already uh, developing so beautifully. I yes. mean, you have Johns Hopkins coming up from the back. Um, and it's just amazing. The transformation that's already going on down there exactly. is just amazing. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. So when are you looking for, do you have a date? Um, a we date? are looking at um, 2017. Okay, 2017. That's just right around the corner, Dr. Martin. Yes, How do you is. feel about yes, that? I um, feel, feel very good. We, um, we had, uh, were held up for a while with uh, um, 
some preservationists. <laughs> so we oh, had to work oh, through wow. some things, and uh, but we've done that, and so we're ready to move forward now. And see, this and is I'm, the thing I'm, I'm proud of our exhibits as well. I'm sorry. Your exhibits. You have new exhibits. Uh, we well the the um, the, the designer uh, we have a, a designer for um, for our exhibits. Um, okay. I work very very closely with them. I'm I'm the one guiding the um, the process, and our exhibits mm-hmm. are just so groundbreaking. They, I, I ah. just um, feel that when we do this, there will be nothing like it. They just won't. And the, uh, oh, the I depth of the agree. story, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I just can't wait. I'm so excited. So this is absolutely wonderful. So, ladies and gentlemen, please, once again, if you have not, if you have not, make sure you put this on your bucket list when you come make a trip, a special trip to Baltimore, Maryland, and go on over to the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum. Tell them that you've heard about it through my show, A Date with Destiny, um, and, and ask to speak with Dr. Martin. She'll come out and shake your hand. I mean, she loves she to. She loves to still love to meet people. Um, and um, on their website, visit their website, National Great Blacks and Wax. I believe it's .org, Dr. Martin. .org, yes. Is it? Dot .org, okay. Dot and they're org. going to have um, a, 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 a link where you can click on that and they'll have several things where you can donate because they're still, you know, it's, it's a great um, undertaking. They're still looking for donations and so on and so forth. So just please go visit their website and uh, see where you can just, and I, and I guarantee you, you know, you will just feel good about it because, again, the place is just amazing. And it's not just for African Americans. It's for, it's for the world. It's for all of us. Uh, just to learn. And um, so, Dr. Martin, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Now, is there any last words that you want to give out before we just bring this thing to a close? Well, I want to thank you uh, uh, again, Lisa, for having me on your show. This was um, it, it was conversational, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, well, thank you, and we got to get together. We keep saying we got to get together and do lunch, but we really, really do, Dr. Martin. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> if I have to come by and pick you up myself. <laughs> well, that, that will work. That works. That will work. <laughs> All right. Well, please tell everyone at the museum I said hello and send them my love. And once again, I thank you. And once the museum is, is you know, uh, getting closer and closer to the date, we want to bring you back and just have another conversation um, about the, the beautiful things that you're doing over there. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. You too. All right. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, that was Dr. Joanne Mitchell-Martin from the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I just want to thank her so much for coming on um, and sharing with us because, as we know, knowledge is power, and when we know better, we do better. That is my motto. I love that. When we know better, we do better. I want to thank everyone for tuning in with us. A shout-out to my family who are always loving and supporting me, and also to my friends and colleagues in all of my social networking sites. Also, don't forget to stop by my website, yourdestinyawaits.net, to get some extra motivation and inspiration. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Destiny 101 Twitter, L-Y-S-E-101, that's L-Y-S-E-101. 
We will be back on Monday, March 3rd at 5.30 Eastern Standard Time. So your mission, ladies and gentlemen, if you choose to accept it is, take the necessary time to do a true self-evaluation, seek God, and learn how to love yourself first. Because after all, you owe it to yourself to know yourself. Once again, I'm Lisa M. Saunders, and thank you for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio's A Date with Destiny. Peace and abundant blessings, everyone. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.